Praise the Lord. Well, we've been in a sermon series recently in which we've been talking about hallmarks of our spiritual house. And so we've been putting our spiritual house in order, if you will. And in doing so, we've been talking about as people of the new covenant who are called by God and his people, what does it mean to have characteristics that he has put in us? So we've talked about being people of the kingdom, because the Lord's kingdom is over all things. People of covenant, because God's covenant that he has made with us is everlasting through Jesus Christ. We've talked about being people of power, people of response, people of um, compassion and these kind of things. We've talked about being people who rejoice in the Lord always as a state of being, not always as an emotion. Like that's exactly what Jackie said today. You can be a people who rejoice in the Lord even when you don't feel it. Isn't that funny? And yet the Lord takes us through. You know, he cares about how we feel. Isn't that good? Do you know he was tempted with everything that we encounter and yet without sin? Did you know that Jesus knows what it feels like to be exhausted? Do you know what Jesus knows what it feels like to be betrayed? He knows what it feels like to be frustrated. Could you imagine being God and telling the religious teachers of the day who have studied your word that you gave them from the time they were infants and explaining it to them and then they look at you and say, no, you're wrong. Can you imagine how frustrating that would be? And yet, he's so good. Jesus Christ was betrayed with a kiss by one of his best friends. The guy that was entrusted the money bag because he was faking it and he deceived them, but they thought he was the most trustworthy to manage the finances for the group. Could you imagine that for a minute? This wasn't just the guy that like, oh, we all knew it was coming. This was the guy that even when Jesus said, go do what you're going to do, Satan, to this guy, and dipped bread in the wine and said, this guy is going to betray me, whoever eats this. And he eats it in front of all the disciples. He walks out the door, and what do the disciples say? Oh, he must be going to buy provisions for us. It can't be him. And then he shows up and kisses Jesus, a sign of love and fellowship and fidelity. That's the sign of betrayal. Could you imagine? Man, awful. And this is Jesus who knows us, who's called us to be his, and he's made us his own people. He's made us a people who rejoice. We've talked about all those things over the last couple weeks. Today, we're going to talk about being a people of mission. What does it mean to be on God's mission? Now, every week we talk about the gospel of God. There's two gospels in church life that we need to know. The first one is capital G gospel, and that is gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So when we talk about gospel of the capital G, and you read that in your Bible, the gospel of Mark, that means the account of Jesus Christ, the eyewitness account that was written down as a testimony of what Jesus did. That's the gospel. So when you hear those, like, turn to the gospel of Luke. If we say that, that's what that means. The little g gospel is the Greek word euangelion. It means the good news. Now that word gospel, good news, is the message of Jesus Christ that comes through the big g gospel accounts. And that message of the gospel is the foundation for Christian life. It is our entrance into the kingdom. It is knowing him. It is the good news. What is the good news? It's Jesus Christ, come. The good news is this, in a nutshell, and we say it every week, not just for the children, not just for unsaved people or visitors. 
But we say this also for our benefit, because we always come back to the gospel as the foundation. He, Jesus, is our foundation, and we come through his message and story, his way of salvation, to come back to him all the time. We root our lives on the gospel. This is the gospel. We were separated from God by sin. Sin is rebellion to God. It's being a traitor to him. It's disobedience at its root. It's selfishness. And we took our own selfishness and decided we wanted to do things our way. We disobeyed what God said from our very first parents in the garden when God first made mankind. And it put all humanity onto a path of sin. Not only are we on a path of sin, we have all actually sinned. The Bible tells us all of us like sheep have gone astray. We've all gone our own way. But the Lord in his kindness sent his son for us, Jesus Christ, who is the second person of the Trinity. He's God who became man for us. He's fully God. He's fully man. He came. He lived a perfect life without any sin. Totally obedient to the Father. And yet, for our benefit, our punishment, the wrath of God against our sin was placed upon the perfect son, Jesus. He took the wrath of sin for us. He died for us. And he had to die because the Bible tells us the wages of sin are death. What you earn by sinning is not just spankings or timeouts or wearing a, a bad hat or having a bad report card or a slap on the wrist. What you receive is death because God is the king of the universe, the creator of all things. And to commit treason against him, there's only one punishment. And the king of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus, the son of God who became a man for us, took the wrath of God and died for us on the cross. Now, people die all the time, don't they? And so dying by wrath means he died. But the good news of Jesus Christ is he rose again to life. He defeated the sin. He defeated the death. And when he did so, the Bible tells us if you believe in Jesus, if you trust in him more than you trust even in yourself or in your nationality or your pedigree or your race or your money or your education or your anything else you could fill in the blank if you trust in Jesus for your salvation and you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that he rose from the dead the Bible says you will be saved of the sin that you have and the wrath of God that is due you because of our sin that's the good news God took the wrath from us separated it away from you Put it onto Jesus, and he suffered that penalty so that you might live. And not only that, but Jesus, who lived a perfect life, God took his perfect obedience and righteousness and then put it onto you, where now he says, You are my son. You are my daughter. You belong to me, and God wants to have a communion with you, a relationship with you, not just a friendship with you. He wants to marry you. And be close to you where you are his because he's your creator. And, he, and this has been attained not because of you that you might boast, but because Jesus Christ is good enough. And that's the good news. And the good news is because he did it, we can trust him even though we are failures. He's better. Though we sin, his mercy is more than our weight of our sins. And we see that through Jesus who died on the cross. How amazing. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is what the world is dying to hear. And I've added a lot of elements. Now, how could you boil that down to something a lot shorter? 
Here's what the world has boiled it down to. Jesus loves you. True. How does he demonstrate that love? He demonstrates that love because he died for you. Because he said, love has no greater thing than this, than someone would give, that would give up his life for his friend. That's what Jesus said about love. And not only did Jesus die for his friend, he died for his enemies, us who were sinners. That's incredible. But it's not enough just to say Jesus loves you. It's not even enough just to say Jesus went to the cross for you. Why not? What do you think? The answer is because people don't understand why is there good news? What's the good news if somebody dies? What does that mean? And if they died for us, why did he have to die? If he's God, couldn't he just snap his fingers and it's good? Couldn't he just, if he can create anything, why couldn't he just create a solution that didn't equal death? And the reality is, the Bible tells us that that's because God didn't do it that way. God, you know, God invented lawyers. I don't know if you are a lawyer, praise the Lord. If you don't like lawyers, they're going to be in heaven, so, you know, get, get along with them. It's okay. But God invented the legal system. He's the great judge of the earth. And if God had done something outside of his own system, it would make him a liar. So he had Jesus die as a penalty for sin because that was the penalty. If he suddenly said, oh, never mind, it's fine, it would mean that he's not just, he's not righteous. It means that he's a liar. Because if he said it, it needs to happen. And so it's not enough just to say Jesus died for you and leave it at that. Because if we just tell people little snippets of the gospel, they don't actually know the good news. And then they're left scrambling to try to find the good news. And so people believe Jesus loves me, he died for me, and now I have to earn his salvation, and I have to earn his death. And that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says he died because you could not earn it. And he's redeemed us and made us his, even though we were traitors and dead in our trespasses and never could earn it. There was a debt we could never repay in a million lifetimes. And so Jesus Christ suffered that penalty for us that we might know him. And that is good news. It's good news because how frustrating is it when we fail and fail and fail or do so great for years and then mess up and then you're out. You know, I was, uh, I was elected to be the National Honor Society president of my high school when I was a junior. So we went through the elections, you know, all this stuff, and I was the, supposed to be the president. And so um, that was a, a really great year, and it was good, and I ended up having the opportunity to go to England with my dad, who was preaching at a big conference. He was at a youth conference in Manchester, and so he, he said, I want you to come with me. This is gonna be great. It was around Christmas time, and so I went with him, and while I was in England, uh, at some point I got uh, pneumonia, and I was very ill, and I had something else, I can't remember what it was, but I came back home super sick. I got off the airplane, and this is, this is pre-9-11, so my mom's waiting at the gate. Kids, you won't know about that, but so at one point you used to be able to walk all the way to the airplane. And so my mom's waiting at the gate, and I walked out of the little tube terminal thing to come off the airplane into the main terminal area, and my mom's there, and the first thing she said was, oh, that's not good. Now, that's not how you want your mom to meet you. <laughs> Usually that's not their reaction when they haven't seen you for a while. I looked bad, and I was very ill, and I was ill for like a month. And this was at the end of the semester, so I missed all of my 
Um, I missed all of my midterm big exams and all that kind of stuff. And I scrambled to try to get stuff in, but I was just super sick. And so I really struggled. And my GPA, to be in the Honor Society, you had to have a 3.5 GPA. I had a 3.49, 3.49, and they kicked me out. And I was elected to be the president, and I got kicked out. And my mom was very angry. And you wouldn't have not wanted to be in that PTA meeting. Um, did not work. Didn't matter how angry I was. I didn't meet the qualifications. And I'm telling you that because for our lives, sometimes we have moments where we're like, I'm elected president. This is great. Everything is going so great. I'm traveling the world. This is amazing. Going to these things. This is good. God, I'm, speak I'm going to hear sermons. I'm working on myself. I'm living my best life. Things are great. God's using me. This is amazing. And then you come home and something happens to you or you do something and suddenly your GPA is 0.1 away. And in God's eyes, you are a sinner condemned to hell. Because if you have transgressed his law, there is only one punishment. It's death. There's only one punishment. And I'm telling you this because the world wants to make everything gray. There's no black and whites. God's a God of love. It's fine. It doesn't matter. He accepts trying. He does not. He only, accept one, he only accepts one person's work. We are saved by works. They're just not our works. They're his works. And so what's the response? The response is to know the good news and throw ourselves down at Jesus' feet and say, Jesus, I trust your work. It's better than mine. You are better than I could ever do. And here's the crazy part. God gives you his GPA. And all of a sudden in the record books, you're the valedictorian with him as a joint heir. How does that work? I didn't earn this. No, you did not. He earned it for you. What good news. It's good news, isn't it? This is the foundation of our life. This is how we parent. This is how we deal with people at work who betray us, who do stupid things and hurt the company. And they're foolish in the way they do things. And then we remember, I'm living in the good news. And instead of coming to this person and being like, you're an idiot, I can come and say, you have failed. Let me show you the right thing to do. Now, that doesn't mean we don't fire people sometimes if they're being disobedient or something. But I'm saying it flavors everything because a marketplace where you have to earn every connection, you have to earn every bonus, you have to earn everything you do. That's how the world works. And if you go against that, even just a little bit, you become a dirtbag. But in God's economy, we all come to Jesus and he earned it for us. And so I treat everybody with respect. I try with everybody. I bring everybody to Jesus. I pray for everybody. I want them all to know the good news. And I'm going to do what I need to do in the company. But I'm not going to do it by insulting this person. Again, it's, okay. it's, it's not a sin to fire people if they are doing a poor job. But the way in which we go about life changes. My children mess up and I don't say, you're stupid and a bad child. Because God didn't say that to me. He was so kind to me. And so I do, I discipline them because I want them to walk in the way they need to go. And I say, you are destined to follow Jesus. You belong to him. Walk this way so that you can know him and know righteousness. This is a better path. Let's come to him and I'll show you how to repent while your bottom hurts from the discipline that we just got. 
so that they know what it feels like to come in a contrite way and say, Lord, forgive me. Because pride in children makes them feel like they are right. You ever had a child get disciplined and they're like, you're wrong. Like, no, you are wrong. And I'm disciplined. All the teachers are going, hmm, yep. Every teacher in the room right now is nodding. But this is, it's proclivities in us, isn't it? Isn't it funny how sometimes when we get in trouble, the first thing that comes to mind is to lie to get out of it? And instead, we come to the Lord and say, forgive me, Father. I'm not a liar anymore because Jesus earned for me holiness. And now that I'm in him, I don't want to have any lies. I only want the truth. Forgive me. And so you go and say, I lied to you. I'm sorry. You asked me when that project was due. I told you I emailed it to you. I didn't. I just said it. I don't know why I said it. I just didn't want to be in trouble. I didn't actually email it last week. I failed. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I will email it right now. How many times have you heard that in the workplace? The lie every day. The repentance, never. Why? Because we live in a different reality. And you live in the good news where your status isn't changed anymore. Because you're not a rebel anymore. Now you're a son and a daughter. It's better, isn't it? Why am I telling all, all, all of you all these things? Let's look together. Acts chapter 8. In the book of Acts, this is the Acts of the Apostles, but they are, this is Luke, his account uh, Luke, like the Gospel of Luke. This is Luke's account of all the things that are happening in the early church. And Luke is a physician, so he's very detailed in what he writes about. He's an educated guy. And so in this passage, a guy named Saul, who's a Pharisee, has been given power by the Jews, by the leaders of the Jews, to uh, kill the Christians and to have them convert, especially the Jews who are following Jesus uh, they are trying to come against them so that they might come back to Judaism and repent of their ways. And uh, martyrdom or killing those guys is an option. And so Saul has just done this. The church has gone through some time uh, and they have chosen deacons. Deacons is just a word that means servant. They're just servants. But these are leaders in the church who are specifically have been designated to serve the church in terms of physical needs. So widows, orphans, people in the church who don't have means to help themselves, and money and charity and things that are happening. The apostles, who are the, the disciples of Jesus, are teaching the word of God to the people. The deacons are like the hands doing that word and helping the people do it. It doesn't mean the apostles aren't also doing it, but it means the deacons are overseeing this because the church has exploded in growth and there are thousands of people. So let's read Acts chapter 8, what's happening. One of the... Well, let's read in, in, well, one of the deacons, those guys named Stephen, has just been stoned to death. He's the first martyr of the church because he would not come against Jesus. Acts 8 verse 1 says this, And Saul approved of his execution, that's Stephen's execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they all were, say, scattered scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen, who was the martyr, and made great lamentation over him. But Saul, that's the guy that was commissioned by the Jewish leaders, was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So what's the penalty of following Jesus in this time? Prison or death? And what happens to the church? Scattered. They're running for their lives. 
Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits came out of many who were possessed, crying out with a loud voice, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Praise the Lord. We're going to skip this story about Simon. What happens is this guy Simon uh, is a magician. And he sees the apostles come down to check on this work that Philip is doing. And they pray and the people are filled with the Holy Spirit and they're, they're speaking in tongues and they're seeing these, these gifts come out and the people are full of joy. And Simon says, I got to get that. So he goes over and tries to pay for it. He says, give me the ability to do, to do that and I'll pay you some money, he says that to Peter. And Peter curses him. And he says, pray for me that that won't happen. And he starts to believe in Jesus, basically. Let's read now in verse 26. We're going to skip that little piece of that story and come back to Philip. Chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran over to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come in and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he read was this, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, like a lamb before its shearers, is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him what? The good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they went down to the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And he passed through there and preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Praise the Lord for his word. Now let me ask you a question. We read before in Acts chapter 8. It said that this great persecution had come. What happened to the church? They were scattered. They went scattered along. Except for who? The apostles. The apostles. Now there's two guys named Philip. One guy is an apostle named Philip, and he was not scattered because the apostles stay in Jerusalem. Another guy was selected along with Stephen, who was the first martyr, to become one of the first deacons. And his job was to provide money to the poor and help them and give charity. This was Philip. And this is Philip that we read in Acts chapter 8, who is scattered along with the rest of the church. 
And I'm saying to you this for this reason. A lot of times we read these stories and we think, man, if I was an apostle, if I got to walk with Jesus for three years, if I was there when Jesus hung on the cross, if I saw him after the resurrection, then sky's the limit of what I could do for the kingdom. But the first sign of miracles that we see happening in the early church are not the apostles. It's not Peter. It's not James. It's not John. It's not Andrew. It's not Timothy. It's not Titus. These other guys that are going to come later and become apostles. It's a deacon. What does deacon mean? It means servant. It means a guy who is faithful, who is chosen to help oversee charity work. He's a volunteer. He's like us. He's not one of the guys that got to walk everywhere. Now, maybe he was around. Maybe he did see Jesus in the flesh. We don't know. It doesn't say for sure. But this guy has something happened to him where he is just going for it. And the context of him doing this kingdom work is persecution that has scattered the church. Now, Jesus said to, the, to everybody, especially the apostles in Matthew 28, he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything that I've taught you. Where does he say to go? In Jerusalem, and Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And God is fulfilling the prophecy and the command that, that Jesus himself has said, not through Peter, not through James, and not through John, but through Philip, the deacon, who is going forward, and he will be the first now to take the gospel to the Samaritans. The Samaritans were like a half-breed people. They're like people who live in Granite City, Illinois, and they're technically Illinois people, but they're Cardinals fans. So what do you do with that? You know, they're like, we're not sure if they're our best friends, but we're on the same team, kind of, but not. And also, I don't know if I want to go to Granite City. You know, and that's, that's Samaria is kind of like that, and I'm being silly about that now. It was much more prejudiced in this time. The Samaritans were people that you didn't interact with. And they worshipped some, you know, they worshipped the Lord, but they weren't fully technically, ethnically whole. They had some other bloodlines in them, um, which in America is not a big deal because everybody's a mutt, right? I have Scotch-Irish and German and Italian, and there's all this stuff. Cultures, they're in my own family. And this time, the Samaritans were half Israelite and half other, and that other is speaking loudly. And so they were ostracized from worship. They were ostracized from the people. Uh, they were not allowed to come into worship in the temple, all these kind of things. And Jesus says, start in Jerusalem. Well, that makes sense. The temple's there. That's the center of God's people. Then take the gospel, this good news of this salvation that I've told you about, of unearned, unmerited grace and favor from God. Take that to Judea. Oh, Okay, those are Israelites. That totally makes sense. We've gone from the capital city to right outside. Makes sense. Got that. Then he says, go to Samaria. Sorry, what? You, you, want, to go, you want me to take this to Granite City? They're, but they're, they're only, I mean, do they, do they like the blues? Because if they're not blues fans, I can't help them. And this suddenly becomes a problem. And then to the ends of the world. And in one guy, Philip, the Lord accelerates this 
because the church has been scattered and the regular people are going out and they are preaching the gospel everywhere. And now Philip finds himself in Samaria and he's teaching, he's teaching the gospel to everybody. And now he goes and he meets this guy who's from Ethiopia. Ethiopia. That's not Israel. That's Ethiopia. Not only that, this guy, he's an important guy. He's in charge of all the queen's treasury, but there's something about him that's messed up. He's a eunuch. If you want to create loyalty in somebody, you, you dismember them from birth. From the time they're very little children, you maim their bodies and psychologically treat them in such a way that the only thing they know in life is fidelity to their queen. That's the eunuch. This eunuch is a guy who has been entrusted with the very treasury of a kingdom. And in his body, he has taken the marks and the punishment to ensure by that kingdom he will be completely faithful. But something's happened to him, and he's gone to Jerusalem to worship. How does that take place? Not only has he gone to Jerusalem to worship, he's come back with the book of Isaiah. How does that happen? Because God's doing something new. Because God's taking his word that he had deposited in the Israelites, and now he's taking it from Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And he's entrusted with an unlikely eunuch. You know, the Bible says in the Old Testament that somebody who's hurt like this, if they did it to themselves especially, cannot come into the kingdom, cannot be part. But God now in his grace, his unmerited favor, his unearned righteousness has taken a eunuch who would be the first bearer for the region of Ethiopia and that kingdom to come back not only with the book of Isaiah, but also with the good news that would be shared to him by Philip. And Philip, in obedience to the Holy Spirit, did you notice, runs to the chariot. He's so in tune with what God is doing. He's so in tune with the mission that Jesus has said that when he sees, listen, it's a limousine. In this time period, for us today, it's a limousine. And it's a limousine with those little flags on the front because this is, this is the emissary of another country. And the Holy Spirit says, go talk to that limo. Go talk to those guys. Go talk to it. Pretend, you know, for a minute we've got a limousine. There's a little Canadian flag. Like, go over there. That's the Canadians. You're going to talk to them. Ah, Canadians. Ah. Maybe if it was the French or something. Not the French. No. Nah. Maybe if it was Argentina. That would sound cool. Send me anywhere, Lord. A Caribbean island. That would be cool. But instead, there's no choice here. There's no talking back to God. There's only obedience. And not just obedience, but enthusiastic obedience where he sees the limousine coming and it's got the Ethiopian flag and the Holy Spirit says, go, and he sprints over to it. And when he gets there, what does he hear? He hears a guy saying, like a sheep, he was led to slaughter. Like a lamb before its shearers is silent. So op he opens not his mouth, in whose humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And what does he know? He knows the scriptures. And he immediately recognizes, that's Isaiah. He says, hey, do you understand that? The guy in the limo says, how can I if no one guides me? Come on in. I'll, if you know, I want to hear it. So he comes and he sits in there. And what does he do? 
He doesn't just say Jesus loves you. He doesn't just say Jesus died on the cross for you. By the time he's finished talking, the guy sees a piece of water, a pond. They're in the desert. There's not the Mississippi. He doesn't see a giant river. He sees a little bit of water on the side of the road, a puddle. And he says, what's stopping me from being baptized? And Philip, nothing, because Philip is a guy who runs to obedience. And he's taught now the Ethiopian eunuch, this is how you run to obedience. And immediately baptized, and the spirit goes, good, done, move over here, and takes him away. Could you imagine baptized, you come out of the water, whoo, that was, whoosh, gone. Oh, okay, we're going, get back, limo, limo, let's go. I mean, but he's full, he's full of knowing God's word, and he has God's word, he's got Isaiah with him, but now he has the good news, the whole story that's wrapped up in Jesus. Why? Because a guy was faithful, because a guy ran, because a guy knew the mission, because a guy wasn't going to let prejudice stop him, because a guy wasn't going to let a flag on a limo stop him, because a guy wasn't going to let persecution stop him, because a guy wasn't going to let circumstances stop him, because a guy knew God and trusted him more than he trusted himself. That's Philip. And really, this is a story about the Holy Spirit. Because Philip is just a guy, and that's what I want you to get. He's a servant just like you're a servant. He's just a guy. It's the Holy Spirit who enables Philip. It's the Holy Spirit who gives him this sense of purpose. It's the Holy Spirit who reminds him of the words of Isaiah. It's the Holy Spirit who causes him to run to the chariot. It's the Holy Spirit who takes him from there. It's the Holy Spirit who speaks to him. It's the Holy Spirit who's given him wisdom and insight. It's the Holy Spirit who's done all of it. And you can trust the Holy Spirit the same way. Because at the end of the day, the Lord is the one who changes hearts. Even if bodies are maimed, God changes hearts. And so we trust the Spirit. And this sermon is not about be like Philip. This sermon is about be like Jesus. This sermon is about listen to His Spirit. This sermon is about being a people of mission who run to the chariot, who run to the opportunity, who don't even let persecution or, or being thrown out there change us and change our ways because we're so in tune with the Spirit of God and so trusting the Spirit of God that we are moving forward into all the mission and the things that God has called us to, even if it comes up and butts against our own prejudices and preconceived ideas. You know, many times I find it that People go to work in a new place or they change neighborhoods or something happens, they move, something changes in their life, they join a new gym, whatever, and a couple months in, suddenly they realize that this move was not for them. It was because God put them somewhere to do something for Him. It's because the Holy Spirit wanted them to accomplish something that looks like speaking to people. It looks like the gospel proclaimed. That's what it looks like. It doesn't look like just being a good gym member. It doesn't look like just making ourselves have the best life that we can live. It looks like serving Him. And many, many times I found Christians who go into new jobs or get changed into a new office or something happens, and all of a sudden, as they're a few months in, they realize, oh, God put me here for a reason. And it wasn't just a pay increase. It was because God's on a mission. Are we a people who think in terms of the Spirit? Or we are people who think in terms of earning what we can get. Because well, the example that we have of Jesus and his people on mission is that he will have the whole earth. He will stop at nothing. He will break down prejudice walls. He will break down cultural walls. 
He will give scrolls of his sacred scripture away from the Israelites into the hands of the Ethiopians to ensure that this eunuch can take back with him not just the good news, but also the parchment that talks about the coming Messiah. How incredible. The Lord is using us. And he's called you to be a deacon, to be a servant in the purest way. Maybe you won't be an actual office of deacon in the church. Maybe you won't be an apostle or a pastor or a teacher. But God used just a servant to bring to the known world the grace of his good news. What are we giving to the world? It's not charity. We're not giving to the world great platitudes of Jesus loves you. We're giving them the whole counsel of God and the good news. And the good news includes his perfect life, his perfect death, his perfect resurrection, and our imperfect rebellion that we would know becoming sons and daughters in an unearned way because he chose us. If we're not bringing the whole gospel to people, then we're selling short what God's done. My call to you is this today. You are already conscripted into the mission of God. You're already in it. You are already enabled. We've spent now seven weeks talking about being a people who receive, a people of power, a people of kingdom, a people of covenant, a people of rejoicing. All these things. God has already done all those things. Why? Because he's put you on mission. That for his glory, you would demonstrate by your life and say with your mouth the good news of the gospel for the betterment of all the people around us. This is why the motto of our church is love Jesus, love people. Because Jesus said, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. If we're going to really love our neighbors, yes, we clothe them. Yes, we help them. Yes, we pack meals. But if they would just know this good news, this is the eternal goodness of God that we ourselves need. And we want to give it to our brothers and sisters around the world everywhere. Even in Granite City, even in East St. Louis, in Kirkwood and Maplewood, in Ferguson, Florissant, Fenton, Chesterfield, Baldwin, Grief Corps, St. Charles County, Lincoln County, all the counties, everywhere, Chicago even. Why? Because we love God and we want to serve him. You are in his mission. Here's the one takeaway I want you to get. Run. Run to do what he tells you to do. How do you know what he tells you to do? Just pray. Know the word of God. Stay ready. And when it's time, you'll know because you'll hear the Spirit say, run. And then do it and see what happens. And be armed with this, the gospel that you know, the gospel that you can say in one minute. That is the weapon. That is the power of God unto salvation. That is the message. If you hear something and you're not sure and you don't know, and they're throwing things at you and you're not sure, just pray and tell them the gospel. That's all we got. But there's power in it because it is his testimony. Amen? So what happens? We feel unequipped. We run in and they're like, well, I don't know what to do. That's what to do. Just run. Stand there. Listen for your moment. In this case, some guy's reading Isaiah and doesn't know what it means. What will it look like in your case? Maybe it's a boss saying, did you really send that email? And here you can humble yourself and say, no, I lied to you. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I believe in the Lord. He died for our sins. He rose again. That's not who I am. I took the easy route, and I'm sorry. 
I won't do it again. And by the testimony of your life living the gospel, you enter a door. Or maybe it's your friend saying, I'm sleeping on the couch again. I think this is going to be my third divorce. I'm sorry to hear that. Let me pray for you. Let me tell you about Jesus and how he loves us. And just open our mouths and tell people. Maybe it's your neighbor who's got a friend that's sick and you're going to pray for them. Let me pray for you. Let me pray for your friend that's sick. I don't even know who they are, but I'm just going to pray. Let's do it right now because God hears our prayers. Opening the door, opening the door, opening the door and finding the areas where we can run in to do the mission. And God provides those areas because it's the Holy Spirit that enables us, not us. You don't have to be smarter than your person you're talking to. We're not trying to close a sale. We're trying to do the mission that God's told us to do. What did he say to do? He said that we would proclaim Jesus. That we would go forth. We'd make disciples. You know, sometimes you can make a disciple without them even knowing they're a disciple. You're just telling them. You're just telling them about Jesus. You're showing them how to live by the way you live. Sometimes that even means seeing places that you mess up. And what it looks like to walk out repentance. Isn't that what we do with our children? You know, with our children, we don't teach them what it means to know Jesus and his gospel and his grace, but from a standpoint of us being perfect, we do it from a standpoint of that we all need Jesus. And let me bring you to the great shepherd. Come on over here. Let me show you what this looks like. That's what we do with our neighbors too. But we tend to make it into this big thing in our heads where it's got to be way bigger. And if there's not a puddle and if we're not talking to an Ethiopian, then God's not in it. But I'm telling you, God put you in your neighborhood. He put you in your house. He put you in your job. He gave you the friends you have. He gave you your street corner. He put you in this church. He put you where you are for the mission because he cares about people. And so stop fighting to see some horoscope version of what that's going to be. You're never going to find it. And instead just say, Lord, I trust you more than what I trust in myself. I trust you more than I trust me. I want to do your mission. Today, if you don't know the grace of Jesus, or if you know it, but you're still trying to earn it over there, give up. Throw yourself on your knees in front of him and say, Lord, I trust you more than I trust me. Lord, I love you more than I'm going to love my life. Save me. I believe you rose from the dead. If with your neighbors, with your family, with your friends, you feel like you're just bashing your head against the, the window, can't get through to them, and nothing's happening, just know the Lord is good. Watch for the moment. Watch for when they're reading Isaiah and they're like, I don't understand what that means. It might look like something else. Who knows what that will look like? Do you understand what I'm saying? It doesn't, it doesn't have to be Isaiah. But there's going to be an opportunity where you can demonstrate this is who God is. Amen? Amen? Amen. Will you stand? Let me pray for you. Father, you are good. Lord, thank you that you chose the unlikely. Thank you, Lord, that you filled with power your, your servant, Philip. Lord, not the apostle, but just the guy. Lord, thank you that you, in a similar way, have filled us with your power. That the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead was at work in Philip when he was talking to the Ethiopian eunuch. And is the same spirit that was working us when you saved us. And is the same spirit who now is using us in your mission. Lord, we trust you. Holy Spirit, we trust you. We look to you, O oh God, not just for wisdom, but for opportunity, Lord, for feet that run to do your will. Lord, help us in our apathy. Forgive us, Lord, in our lack of focus. Forgive us, Lord, in our, in our desire for convenience and rest. And help us, Lord, to be people who are committed to your gospel, committed to your mission. 
Lord, it's for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ that we pray this now. Lord, even more than our own glory, we pray God be glorified through us. In the name of the Father who has called you, the Son who has saved you, and the Holy Spirit who is applying Christ to you, know his peace, know that you are in his mission, and know that you are being led by his Spirit. In the power of the gospel, go forth. God bless you. Amen. Have a great week. We'll see you all next week. God bless you.